the record. I have this amazing lesson prepared for you guys. God has blessed us, right? Amen. How many of us do things traditionally like Christmas Eve dinners that Lynette and I continue to bless our family with? It's called flesh keeklin fruit soup or this weird beard that I grow from October to April or am I the only one? Times in our life, in times in our life, I wonder why I have been blessed with such a wonderful wife, but what we do in the Vogley home is kind of strange in a lot of ways. We, we, uh, we take care of the sides. For those of you who don't know, I'm of German descent. I brought my lovely wife into that German descent mentality. We eat a lot of dough. One of the dishes that we eat is called strudel, and it's dough boiled on top of ham and potatoes. And part of the sides are cucumber salad or pickle beets. About three months ago, we couldn't have it anymore. We're down to our last jar. So I said, okay, no problem. Two weeks ago on Saturday, when I to run errands, I drove by the town pump, and there's this gentleman and his son from the spring water colony in Great Falls, and they're peddling vegetables. And I said, perfect timing. I'll just order. So I went up and I visited with the gentleman and asked him what he'd have to have for 50 pounds of beets. And then I said, and on a side note, what do you get for cabbage? And he says, well, I've got cabbage here. I said, no, 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 no. I want winter cabbage, the great big ones. I said, I'll take 10 of them, about 50 pounds. Yeah, it works. When do you want them? Two weeks from today. So yesterday, Lynette and I, we trekked to Bozeman. We pick up vinegar and nutmeg and allspice. And we come back and we pick up our 50 pounds of beets, two bags, 25-pound bags, and big box of cabbage. And Bless Lanessa's heart. I mean, you guys have to see this to be to understand how wonderful my wife really is. She puts up with me in a 72 square foot space. Imagine that, if you will. It's not very pleasant. Sometimes I think she wants to grab that cast iron skillet that she's got hanging and show me that I do need to be straightened out. But she just works right along. And we were able to process everything. The glitch was that these fine people provided 13 heads of these big cabbages. And I have this beautiful red wing five-gallon crock that I worked so hard to get that cabbage in there. (laughs) I got in 10 of them, but it was full. And so ah, I'll just go out to the garage and grab a five-gallon bucket. That'll work. That's perfect. So before this, I'm out scrubbing up these bucket, this bucket, saying to myself, I better do a little research. I called my sister, Debbie, who lives in Bartlesville, Oklahoma, and I said, hey, sis, I said, Missy and I are grinding up a little cabbage for sauerkraut. I said, 
can a person use a plastic bucket? She said, oh, that's not a good idea, Lance. When it starts fermenting, it'll soak that chemical right out of that bucket, and your sauerkraut will be garbage. She said, you don't have anything else. I said, I don't know. Lance, do we have anything else? Yeah, she said, the bowl I used to use all the time to make dough in, it's just this real nice crock, heavy, heavy thing. I said, we got it covered. Thanks, Debbie. Lynette and I finished grinding up the th three heads of cabbage. The glitch, and I told Cindy, was when I beat it down into that five-gallon bucket, it's got a flat bottom. When I beat it down into that dough dish, it shot cabbage everywhere. Really? That wasn't well thought of. So I had Lynette holding on one side, putting her hand on up, beating it, because you got to bring the moisture up to the top to get the thing fermented, get started, get the salt working. And, but it was a wonderful day. It, was, it was, definitely was wonderful. And for the record, Lynette was more than pleasant when she didn't really need to be. Praise her heart. So going on with this, how many of us would say that we're decent gardeners? I have a neighbor who is. Don't raise your hands, huh? I grew up on a farm in eastern Montana, and I would say I'm not such a good gardener. When it comes to mowing the lawn, I will out my 45-year-old John Deere weed eater and follow my 1959 wheel horse lawnmower. It looks pretty good. I mean, I can honestly say it looks pretty good. However, when it comes to flower beds, I'm just not that great. Those beds of bushes and pretty plants take an enormous amount of effort to keep looking nice. Well, Ines and Ariel, Chelsea and I, and Chance, moved to our home at 804 Washington Street on December 31st of 1989. Winter was everywhere. And we had no idea how much Jim and Dora's car loved this place. They filled this yard with trees and bushes, raised strawberry plants, huge garden. Many of you who have heard my story of gardening at 804 Washington Street, but for those of you who have not, I would like to share it with you at this time. I was busy the first winter and early spring doing things around the house, getting us settled in. In March, I went back to Vida to help my parents, who had been displaced from our farm, moving all the equipment off and moving their personal belongings to Mountain View Subdivision here between Belgrade and Bozeman. I had returned early in April, and I decided to take care of my lawn work, my yard work. I borrowed my parents' tractor and tiller and prepared my garden. I had been very successful planting potatoes on Good Friday. As I prepared, I recall that April was near the end, or Easter was near the end of April. However, today I looked it up, and it was the 15th, maybe a little premature on my part. I had cut my seed potatoes, built the hills to place them on. One fine sunny morning, I decided to go out and go for it. I was nearly done when I heard a voice that startled me. Our neighbors to the north were Sam and May Kyle. And it was Sam who had came over to give me a bit of advice. He said, what are you doing, kid? 
Sam went on to say, you never plant a garden in the Gallatin Valley when there's snow on the west slope of the bridges. I thought to myself, I've done it many times successfully before, but I never spoke that to Sam. I did say, however, we'll just have to wait and see. I'm fairly sure that Sam walked away thinking to himself, stupid farm boy. <laughs> May was wet and cool, and I found plenty of time to plant my beans, my peas, my corn, my squash, and my beets. By mid-May, I noticed my potatoes and all of the rest of the beautiful gardens sprouting up. I also noticed that Sam and May had not even touched their garden. I did get a chance to go out to the Dutch community and observe farms where they were culling potatoes. Planting equipment had been placed in fields. It was nearly Memorial Day weekend. A few days later, I was informed that those potato growers usually plant in late May or early June. It was one fine morning in early June when I received a phone call from Linda Goldberg of Vida, Montana, inquiring of a place to stay while they were planning on attending their daughter Susan's MSU graduation. I said, of course, Tom and Linda were very hospitable to me as I spent many times and evenings there with my best friend Tim, who was their son. Linda, Tom, and Doris Merriman arrived on the evening of June 12th. We spent hours laughing and talking of old times. And since Doris was one of my vacation Bible school teachers and one of my Sunday school teachers at the Vida Baptist Church, we had a lot of catching up to do. I was very exhausted when I went to bed. And for some odd reason, I woke up between 4 a.m. and 5 a.m., only to notice the frost on my deck rail. I checked the thermometer and it revealed it was 27 degrees. Oh man, I was in a panic. I ran for my clothes, my shoes. I whipped them on as quick as I could. I ran down, about killed myself going down my steps because they were frosty. I grabbed my garden hose and I just showered that baby. I thought, I got her. Someone had once told me, if you spray your garden with the frost before the sun rises, you're often able to save it. I should have just covered my garden. I had no idea it was going to get that cold. Needless to say, when Doris, Tom, and Linda left around 11 a.m. for the graduation, my garden was wet and black. I thought to myself, that old boy Sam really was a wise man. And for the record, Sam and May had a wonderful garden that year. I will consider planting raised beds someday at my 804 Washington Street residence, but I will always remember to plant after the snow has melted off the west slope. This spring, I built Vanessa a beautiful flower bed right outside her sewing room to bring her a little enjoyment. We were able to attend some graduation ceremonies and down the block on Yellowstone from where Lynette and I live are some friends of ours, the Griffiths, who have this beautiful arrangement of hydrogenous plants. 
I'm sure Denny has seen them. They're white. They're just magnificent. So I convinced Liness, hey, let's go for it. Can you find some of these? She did. We planted it in a flower bed. We nurtured it. I gave it Miragrow. I grabbed this liquid or this potting gold soil that was supposed to be the real deal, and I thought I had it covered. And every day that thing got looking a little tougher and a little tougher. Finally, one day I said, I better check this out. I called my brother Paul. He's pretty insightful on flower beds and flower plants and all this stuff. So I reached out to my brother Paul and I said, Hey, bud, I got a problem. I said, this wonderful $37 hydrogenous plant that Lanessa I put in her flower bed is about to die. You got any suggestions? He said, yeah. He said, move it into the shade. Could be a variety that doesn't like that direct sunlight. Try that. I said, well, I got a place for it. So I moved it right in front of the house. I would say that the plant has survived to date. I wouldn't say it's out of the woods. But I learned an awful lot. I learned that flower beds do not automatically take care of themselves. Weeds creep in, mulch dries up, plants die. They need to be tended to. They need to be worked over. They need to be cultivated. Our souls are the same way. The rigors of life can creep in. And we neglect to care for our hearts. Just like unattended gardens, our souls can become overgrown and out of sorts. Psalms 103 is a great picture of worship that is a cultivation of the soul. The psalmist, perhaps David, is working in the garden of his heart, calling his own being to worship. He's not manufacturing anything artificial, but rather he's doing what he must clear out the mess and see the beauty of God again. Psalms is filled with many wonderful songs that we sing yet today. One today that has captured the hearts of Christians all over the world is 10,000 Reasons, which was written by Matt Redman, one of the most prolific sacred songwriters of our day. The inspiration for this song comes from Psalm 103. I want us to take a look at this scripture looking to gain a better understanding of this song and how we worship through it. Through our journey, we will also do a bit of gardening in our souls, calling our hearts to worship. I would like to read Psalms 103 at this time. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits who pardons all of my iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. 
For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is the loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass. As the flowers of the field, so, it, so he flourishes. When the wind has passed over it, it is no more, and its place acknowledged it no longer. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word. Obeying the voice of his word, bless the Lord, all you his hosts. You who serve him, doing his will, bless the Lord, all you works of his. In all places of his dominion, bless the Lord, O my soul. Verses 1 and 2 are a reflection of the psalmist's own soul. He is calling his own heart to worship the Lord, bringing blessings to the one who is the author of blessings. In these verses, the author brings to remembrance all that God has done in his own life. Sometime this week, I challenge each of us to give the Lord one minute of praising. I am pretty good at telling the Lord what I want him to do for me. We need to do, we need a good dose of Psalms 103 to wash out the complaining spirit and replace it with a heart of gratitude to the Lord. We must think before we thank. We must ponder before we can praise. We must remember before we can rejoice. These first couple of verses are a prayer of nothing but praise. Do we take the time each day to praise God with this much enthusiasm? No requests, no petitions or pleas in this prayer. It's pure, unadulterated praise to God. The psalmist is awestruck with God's blessings, how much God has done for him. I often realize God's presence in the great things I accomplish, yet often I think sometimes they are because of my talents. God cares so much for me, how could I ever think that I could do anything without him? Do I even admit the gifts are from God? I hope he forgives me for thinking too highly of myself. Springing up from the depths of his heart came those wonderful words expressing his gratitude toward the Lord. If you ever get caught up with life and have difficulty praising the Lord, you simply need to read this psalm. A giving God and a grateful believer. Nothing else compares to this. Nothing else compares to the Lord. As I mentioned earlier, often this is forgotten in the midst of everything happening in our lives. The author took the time to remember just how great God really was. Life in a relationship with God is whole and healthy. Verse 3a reveals who pardons all my iniquities. The psalmist begins by reminding us that God forgives all our iniquities. It is not a surprise that he starts here because this is the foundation of everything else. 
Our greatest problem is guilt. We feel because of our sin. Our greatest need is to know that forgiveness is from the Lord. That's great news. Some of us have blown it big time. We've messed up over and over and over again. And we've done the same dumb things repeatedly, even after promising God. I'll never do them again. I'm glad the word all is included in this text. This means that God intends to forgive our future sins as well. Thank you, Mike, for bringing that up as well. When Christ died, all our sins were in the future. And when we come to Christ, all our sins are forgiven, even the yet-to-be-committed sins, ones that might shock us if we know what they are about right now. What a God we serve. What an amazing grace. He forgives our sins past, present, and future. That's a huge insight because he touches how we see God. He's more willing to forgive than we are to be forgiven. One of the names of the devil is the accuser of the brethren. In Job, we see him going before God to accuse Job. We have every reason to believe that he goes before God, even now, to accuse us. He says, look at what she said. Look at what he did. These people are yours are sinners. How can they say that they really love you and continue to act like that? Satan does not have to lie about us. When he comes before the Lord, for God would never permit that. No, there are enough faults in our lives that he simply has to point out the obvious. The Bible calls him the adversary, the enemy. But we also have an advocate. We have one who goes before the Father on our behalf. We have Jesus Christ, the righteous. When the old devil accuses us, our advocate, Jesus, raises his nail-pierced hand and says, Just a minute. I see no stain on that one, on that one, or on that one. I have bought them with a price, and their sins, though they were like scarlet, have been washed white as snow. They belong to me. The psalmist sees believers as people who are made whole because of their relationship with God. The second half of verse 3 is more wonderful than you can imagine. Who heals all diseases. Remember, the psalmist is addressing his soul. So what kind of healing is he speaking of here? Many take this to mean physical healing. I affirm that God heals physical issues all of the time. I would say that is a lesson for another day. I would also say that our God is the great physician to whom we can take all our physical needs and petitions. He made us. He has the power to save us. Two weeks ago, our wonderful evangelist Chris urged those of us who are sick to bring our petitions forward. The eldership of our wonderful church family have been studying the text from James 5, verses 14 and 15, which reads, If anyone among you is sick, he should call for the elders of the church. They should pray over him after anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. 
if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. I was excited for Mike, Maggie, and the boys. After they realized the amazing power that God was bestowing upon them, it had to be an amazing feeling. I fully believe that God will watch over the Savaldi family as they continue to bless each and every one of us with their dedication here every Sunday morning. After all that is said, though, I would say I do not believe that physical healing is the kind of that is spoken in this text. We must understand it in its proper grammatical context. He is talking to his soul, telling it God heals all the diseases of the soul, sin being one of them. Does the soul have diseases? Indeed it does. Fear, doubt, depression, anger, lust, hate, jealousy, pride, greed, and the list goes on and on. Those soul diseases can be traced back to our fallen nature and the effects of sin. But God can give permanent healing to the soul. Psalms 147 verse 3 reads, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. Our ultimate healing comes when we are raised immortal and incorruptible. In that happy resurrection day when Jesus comes and the dead in Christ will rise, 1 Thessalonians 4.16, then at last we will be totally and completely healed once and for all. In verses 4 and 5, I would like to say that the relationship with God is meaningful and it keeps our life from going to waste. After he forgives our sins, heals our soul diseases, then we are able to visualize his plan for our his plan for our future. Who redeems your life from the pit? To redeem means to rescue from danger in the time of trouble. The pit here refers to the death itself. This benefit can be hard to grasp, so think of a speedometer in your automobile. Think of the thousands of miles you have driven with no accidents. Yet, every day we read about and even know loved ones who have lost their lives in automobile accidents. But it didn't happen to us. Every day the Lord rescues us in millions of ways that we don't see. His angels encamp around us to deliver us from trouble. When our time comes to die, we will die. We are immortal until our work on earth is done. How many people do you know every day wasting away the years of their lives on things and in the long run really don't count. They spend their days in pursuit of temporal passing things and wake up one day empty, tired, and feeling like there's no use going on. In fact, they end up feeling betrayed because the things they worked so hard to obtain failed to bring them any satisfaction for which they longed. The world does not offer any hope for the meaningful living. Money, material goods, power, positions, things won't do it. God gives his people a purpose for living. He keeps our lives from going to waste. Our lives are lived with eternal purpose. Our lives are not lived in Christ. All lives are not lived in Christ are only a shell of what they are intended to be. Our lives count. They are not lived in vain. 
And he crowns us with loving kindness and compassion. Could it get any better than that? Not from where I'm standing. The crown reminds us our position as the children of God. In our day, kings and queens wear crowns, but it is a privilege of every Christian to be crowned with loving kindness and tender mercy of God. Who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like eagles. That means there's nothing on earth that can satisfy us except God himself. To be satisfied, to be so full that you need nothing else, is what happens to us at the end of Thanksgiving dinner when we simply cannot eat anything else. We have had two helpings of everything, and even though there's much more food on the table, you couldn't eat another bite. God says to his fading, frail, perishing children, I will give you whatever you need so you can soar like an eagle. All of us need this. I know I do. There is a way to renew yourself, your energy, your outlook, your attitude. It's better than aerobics, cheaper than health food, quicker than dieting, and altogether less strenuous than jogging. And what is this miracle cure? For your life with God's good gifts. And if you let him, the Lord will give you something the world cannot match. The results will be immortal youth. That's what Ponce de Leon tried to find in his quest for the fabled fountain of youth. He never found it because it's nowhere to be found in this world. God says, I will satisfy you, not with gold, but with good. Not with that which glitters today and is gone tomorrow, but that which is permanent, eternal, and ever-increasing in value. In verses 6 through 14, he points out the qualities of our Lord that apply to all of us. For those who are oppressed, God cares for them and fights for them. He is not a God who wants to remain hidden or distant, but he has revealed himself to the people of Israel. And we know that Christ came to this world, came to us to save us. John 1.14 says, The world became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus came to be the light in a world of darkness. The Lord is rich in love and slow to anger. Many of us have experienced quick tempers in some in terrible ways. I have to admit, I had been working on my lesson for quite a while, about a week and a half, applying the final touches. Thursday evening, I use a feature on the iPad that I shouldn't use, but I do. It's called Notes. And for those of you who do know something about iPads, you would have been smart enough to tell me that, Lance, you probably shouldn't use Notes. But it's really nice. I just sit and I type and I, I use it for the elders, preachers, deacons, minutes, and it's been very successful. However, I was proofing it to make sure that I didn't miss anything that I wanted to express to you and I got about a halfway through and I noticed it was gone. And I thought, oh my gosh, I just like 
Couldn't believe it. I said to Lynette, do you know how to regain this? She said, did you put it in Adobe? I said, I don't even know what Adobe is. I put it in my notes. It's never happened before. She said, I don't know. Maybe you ought to just wait for Chelsea to come home. She, she knows all about this computer stuff. She'll take care of you. I went back to my drawing board. And blessed are you. Because that thing was like that deep. I shrunk her down. I couldn't remember all the things that I wanted to say. I apologize. You got lucky. I was furious. I was so disappointed that I, I went to type in it and I was just like raging mad. God, why are we doing this? Why am I doing this to myself? I regained. My poor lovely wife took a lot of abuse because she tried to help and I was just zoned. I didn't know what to do except for to start all over. So I went from where I was and I was typing away. I had been in it for 15 or 20 minutes and I wasn't speaking because I was still rage red furious. And I hit another button. It was all gone. There was nothing on that page. I went to look for the blessed be thy soul. I couldn't find a thing. Oh, Lord, why now? Thursday night, I got beets coming on Saturday and cabbage. Why now? Whoa, baby. Exhausted. I worked and I worked and I worked and I worked. Lesson learned. He has a plan. My wife wasn't part of the abuse that she took. Sorry, Liness. David saw Saul's temper many, many, many times. God's own people have repeatedly turned their backs on him. But he never dealt with them like he could have. Like a true loving father, his anger and discipline always comes to correct and bring back his people. God never gave up on his people, and he never will. This text is used often at weddings, and I want to think of this text as the true nature of God's love. I've chosen Paul's letter to the church in Corinthians 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 through 7, to express how much love God really has. His love is patient. His love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Finally, the psalmist looks at just how big the Lord's forgiveness really is. The picture, as far as from the east to the west, is used to measure the size of the Lord's redemption. When we travel to Kansas, 
to see my siblings, we were able to see for miles and miles and miles. That isn't even close to the distance that the psalmist is talking about. There's no way to fathom the size of it. When the Lord forgives sins, they are gone. He knows we're not perfect, but he never gives up on us. He never fades. He is everlasting. His love is everlasting. He is the only true constant, the only good that will never end. Nothing will defeat him. Even the most powerful kingdom pales in comparison to him. With this picture, the psalmist calls all creation to worship God, just like his soul. Angels, all his servants, and everything God has made will bless the Lord because of who he is and what he has done. How might we apply this in our walk with God? It's not hidden or complex, and it seems more important to me today than it did 20 years ago. As the years roll on and on, life teaches us some important lessons. You learn that all not excuse me, you learn that not all dreams come true. That is a good thing. The wise among us have learned to thank God for the prayers that have never been answered and for the dreams that never came true. It is good to dream big dreams and imagine all that you might do someday. But living forever in the future tends to make us unhappy for where we are today. The advice I would give you is to do some one-minute praising. Catch your spouse doing something right. Catch your children doing something right. Catch your friends doing something right. Catch a co-worker doing something right. And when you do, give them one-minute praising. And especially when you catch your evangelist doing something right, make sure to give him one-minute praising. Just focusing on the positives lifts their spirit and ours as well. But then, give God one minute of praising. I know that sounds trite, but start there. Try praising the Lord for one minute without stopping. Do it every day this week and see how it strengthens your heart and brings you closer to the Lord. Psalms 103 is so beautiful because it is a song that we still sing today. The truths that the psalmist wrote about are true for all of us yet today. God has and still is doing so much for us every day that most of the time we don't even recognize him. Like the flower beds around our houses, our souls will be overgrown and out of shape without proper care. Psalms 103 shows us how to cultivate our hearts and bring our souls to worship. May our worship cultivate our souls toward God always. Spend time calling your heart to worship by doing one-minute praisings. God bless your soul. For those who have struggled with life, like myself, on Thursday evening, I would like us to stand. I have selected this song to close out my lesson. For those of you who are in need of prayers, the elders and the deacons will be available in the back to visit with if there's any who are troubled with the lesson.
Did I run out of battery? Boy, I threw it off. That's a good thing. You guys got tired of listening to me anyway. I would like us to stand and sing this song. I'll try to pitch it right. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul. Worship His holy name. Sing like never before, O oh my soul. I'll worship His holy name. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawn. It's time to sing a song again. Whatever way pass and whatever lies before me. What to let me be singing when the evening comes. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. Worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul. I'll worship Your holy name. Rich in love, slow to anger. Your name is great and Your heart is kind. For all your goodness will keep on singing. One, two, three, ten thousand reasons for my heart to fly. Bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul. Worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship your holy name. And on that when my strength is failing, the end draws near and my time has come. So we'll sing your praise unending. One, two, three, ten thousand reasons, and forevermore. Bless the Lord. Oh, worship His holy name. Sing like that before. I'll worship your holy name. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. O oh my soul. Worship his holy name. Sing like never before. Oh my soul. I'll worship your holy Yes, I worship your holy name. I worship your holy name. Thank you. Thank you.